You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. they've been sitting aside working with for a long long time someone that they have been dealing with for a long long time someone they've known someone who they've respected someone who they looked at and they come alongside and go why are you so different why when everybody else is making coarse jokes and stuff like that you don't why when all these trials coming out you're the one that has a smile on your face and you're dealing so much differently what's wrong with you what's different about you let me tell you about Jesus that's how people are saved That's how people are saved. Have you ever had someone ask you what's different about you? If so, there's only one response that should come to mind. If you're different at all, it's because of Jesus' Holy Spirit working in you. Pastor Dave's message today touches on the fact that it can be attractive to be noticed as different. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 8 as he begins his message, The Samaritan Revival. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. I said that it's no coincidence that we are studying John 4 this week because we are in John 4, which is where Jesus goes to Samaria and talks to the Samaritan woman. And the title of today's message is The Samaritan Revival. So we're looking at that and it's all kind of going to blend together. So let me start off today by asking you a rhetorical question. A rhetorical question is one that I ask and one that I answer. So let me ask you this question and I'd say let me start this morning by giving you two questions. Do you think persecution follows revival, or do you think revival follows persecution? Do you think, somebody, somebody has my answer. Somebody said yes. That's the answer. The answer is yes. The answer is yes. I believe that persecution follows a revival, but a revival can certainly bring about persecution. And I think that's what we've been reading about in the entirety of the book of Acts. Remember I said last week that we've been now studying the book of Acts for one year. We started with the book of Acts and we went through this. Now follow my line of thinking, if you will, as I kind of put everything together from whence we've come. The Holy Spirit falls upon the believers that are gathered after Christ ascends. The Holy Spirit falls upon the believers that are gathered in Jerusalem, in the temple, in the upper room. It falls upon the the, uh, apostles and the disciples gathered there, about 120 people. From this, great signs and wonders are are, are done, and this draws people's attention toward God. Because remember, the people in the temple were seeking God. They were seeking something from God. That's why they were in the temple celebrating the feast that day. It was the Feast of Pentecost. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, preaches God's Word. 
And his word goes forth boldly, and no less than 3,000 people are saved that day. Sounds like a revival. 3,000 people are come to the Lord that day. As the word of God goes forth, more and more are added to the church daily, Scripture says. Eventually, persecution begins. Peter and John are hailed before the council because they healed the, the lame man at the gate beautiful. Remember that beautiful story in chapter 3? They're threatened not to teach or preach in the name of Jesus. The result of this persecution? Boldness. And the word of God goes forward and more are saved. The number, they say, grows to 5,000. Sounds like a revival. But all of a sudden, Satan changes his tactics. Satan's no longer going to persecute the church from the outside. He decides that he's going to persecute the church from the inside, from the very members of the church. Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, come before the council and they lie about the money they received after they sold their own possession. They lied to the Holy Spirit. They lied to God. And the result is, they died. From this persecution, from this persecution, it says that the believers were increasingly added to the church. Multitudes of men and women. Sounds like a revival to me. Multitudes of men and women. But again, persecution happens. The apostles are imprisoned. More threats this time. The, the persecution ramps up a little bit because now the apostles are beaten. They're beaten and scarred with an adventure of their life with the cat of nine tails. But they rejoice because they were counted worthy to suffer in the name of the Lord. They rejoice. They continue to pray for boldness, and they're filled again with the Holy Spirit. The apostles being led by the Holy Spirit, they select seven men to wait tables and help in the feud distribution because there was a problem there. They find these men so that they would have more time to study the Word of God. When they accomplished this, Scripture says the Word spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Yeah, revival. Happening again. Great many signs and great many things were happening. And even says a great many priests were obedient to the faith. Again, revival. More signs and wonders follow as Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, full of faith, and the power of evangelism, he goes throughout Jerusalem preaching God's name, and more people are brought into the kingdom. Sounds like a revival. But then persecution really hits home. Stephen is hauled before the council, the same council, the same Sanhedrin that had Peter and John in front of them, the same Sanhedrin that put Jesus to death or asked for Jesus' uh, crucifixion. He's hailed before them. He's there. And you know the story. We studied it for the last four or five weeks. Stephen witnesses to them, tells them about their errors, tells them about their spiritual roots, tells them how they despised the law of God, how they despised all the prophets, how they despised the temple, tells them right to their face, how they're going the wrong way. His reward, they killed him. Persecution. We met a man, his name was Saul of Tarsus. He's a Pharisee who was consenting to Stephen's death. And the word consenting means he took pleasure in watching Stephen die. He took pleasure in watching this man be killed for what he believed in, be killed for what he stood up for. And we know that he was standing strong for Jesus Christ. It says Paul made havoc on the church. And we said that this word, made havoc, was, was used to describe a wild animal ripping apart and devouring its prey. It's the same word. The results of this persecution, the church was scattered. The church fled Jerusalem. The church went everywhere. They were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. It's been said that persecution does to the church what wind does to seed. It scatters it and only produces a bigger harvest. Now when I read that, when I wrote that, when I thought about that, 
the first thing that came to my mind is a dandelion. You know, in the spring, you have this beautiful lawn, and all of a sudden you look over at your neighbor's yard, and they have a dandelion. And the next thing you know, you walk out and look at your lawn, and you have a dandelion. And then you got another dandelion, and another dandelion, and another dandelion. And you know when the dandelions grow, this thing comes up. Big old long stem with a little thing on there, and it looks like a little thing. I used to love those when I was a kid. I'd pick them up, I'd blow, and they'd fly all over the place. Well, guess what? That was the seed of the dandelion. And when the wind blows through that seed, it flies all over the place. And guess what comes into my yard? And that's how the dandelion goes from place to place. That's, that's God's method of using the dandelion to spread. He spreads it out that way. Guess what? That's what God was doing with the church. That's what God was doing with the church through His Holy Spirit. They were the dandelion. And God was going, and it was blowing. And the seed of God, the Word of God was spreading throughout the land. And it was looking for good soil to germinate in. It was looking for fine soil to root and ground in. You know the parable of the sower. You know what happens to the seed as it's given forth? Some of it falls on rocky soil. Some of it's eaten by birds. Birds, in this instance, always represents the devil. Some of it doesn't take real root. When persecution comes, persecution comes. They don't have roots. Well, some of the word finds good ground. And it blossoms. And it brings forth fruit. Fruit that lasts. That's what we're seeing here. That's what the church is doing right now. The church is scattering. They're scattering. They're an adult dandelion. And they're reproducing now through the scattering of the wind. Wind always represents Holy Spirit in scriptures. You ever know that? Wind always represents Holy Spirit. So as God breathes His Holy Spirit upon the church, it's scattered and it spreads the Word of God throughout. The Lord wants the Word to spread throughout the world. He wants the Word to find good soil so it can germinate and so it can produce much fruit. That's what God's looking for. The Word of God had spread throughout Jerusalem. It made a huge impact on Jerusalem. In fact, the apostles were accused of the very same thing, of filling Jerusalem with Jesus' doctrine. Way back in chapter 5, verse 28, it says, and look, this is the council saying, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. And God's probably saying, good. That's what I want. They're being accused of something which the council thought is bad, but they're going, yes, so? What's wrong with that? They were doing what God wanted them to do. And as we open our study today, we look at verse 4, and it says, Therefore, those who are scattered went everywhere preaching the word. And we said that you have to look at the word therefore and find out what it's there for. Because of everything I just said, because everything that was culminating to this, because they were scattered, because of Stephen's death, they were scattered throughout. The word went forth, it says. And everywhere, preaching the word, they went. Because of the persecution, the disciples were scattered. But as they scattered, they took the word of God everywhere, and they preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word of God went forth from Jerusalem to other places. You know, we take the word of God wherever we go. We take it to school. We take it to work. We take it to the grocery store. We take it to the movies. And yes, we even take it to Wawa. We take the Word of God in there, and it's in us, and we take it, and we should be great witnesses of God's love at those places. People we should look at us and say, there's something different about that person. Their actions are different. Their talk is different. There's something different about that person. I want to be close to that person because there's something special about them. I don't know what it is, but I want it, and I want to see what's happening. As we leave the building today, as we leave this building, we're going to be scattered. The wind's going to blow, and these seeds of God are going to be scattered throughout Cape May County, throughout the, long, uh, the East Coast, into Connecticut. The seeds are going to be scattered throughout. God's looking for good ground for the seed to germinate. God's looking for someone to spread His Word, 
Someone to say, Christ is risen, and Christ is risen indeed. Someone to show Christ to. My question is, saints, will they see Christ in you when you leave here today? Will they hear Christ from you? You know, most people don't come to Jesus through a preacher. Most people come to Jesus through someone just like you. Someone they've been sitting aside, working with for a long, long time. Someone that they have been dealing with for a long, long time. Someone they've known. Someone who they've respected. Someone who they looked at. And they come alongside and go, why are you so different? Why when everybody else is making coarse jokes and stuff like that, you don't? Why when all these trials come and happen, you're the one that has a smile on your face and you're dealing so much differently. What's wrong with you? What's different about you? Let me tell you about Jesus. That's how people are saved. That's how people are saved. Verse 5, it says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Jesus Christ to them. We see the Lord's words being fulfilled. Back in Acts 1, verse 8, the model for the book of Acts, the key phrase in the book of Acts, it says, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the outermost portions of the world. Here we see now the witnesses taking place. The word is going forth now. Jerusalem is saturated with the word of God. And now it's going forth, and Samaria is the next target. The Samaria is the next target. It says, and Philip went down to the city of Samaria. This is the Philip we met in chapter 6. You remember him. He, along with the six other guys, Stephen being one of them, was chosen to wait tables. This is not Philip the apostle. This is Philip, one of the deacons, who was given the command by the group to wait the tables and serve others. Philip, like Stephen, was faithful in the little things in ministry. He was faithful in what God had given them, waiting tables, serving people. Now God was saying, okay, Philip, I'm going to make you ruler of many things. I'm going to make you faithful in great things. He's lifting up Philip, and he's bringing him down there. You know, it's interesting that the word usage, and I love word usage because it says so much, but in verse 4, in verse 4 when it says, and those who were scattered whenever we're preaching the word, the word used there is the word we use for evangelizing, to preach the gospel. But in verse 5, the word here used for preach is herald, to be a herald. It's like one who goes before the king and heralds the coming of the king. Philip was a herald. He went down exclaiming Jesus Christ. He went down proclaiming Jesus Christ. He was a herald. It's like the guys, you know, in the olden days used to walk around, nine o'clock, you know, on the corners and stuff like that. And they'd put out the lights, a herald. That's what Philip was doing. He was, he was commissioned by God to deliver the Lord's message. He was commissioned to deliver the message to the people of Samaria. But to reject the messenger would mean to reject the message. When you reject the messenger, you reject the message of God. And when you reject the message of God, you rebel against the authority behind the message of God, who is God Almighty. So when you reject the message of Christ, you're not rejecting the person who's delivering it. You're really rejecting God Almighty. You're rejecting God's plan. It's like, don't kill the messenger. However, they did when it came to Stephen. But the way people respond to God's messenger and the way that people respond to God's message is serious business. In fact, it's so serious, it's a matter of life and death. That's how serious it is. There's a couple of things I want to point out here. Really interesting. The first thing is, where did Philip end up? He ended up in Samaria. Of all places, he ended up in Samaria. Now, in 2 Kings chapter 17, there's an account there of the Assyrian invasion of Israel in 721 B.C., during this invasion, the ten northern tribes were carried away into captivity by the Assyrians. During their captivity, many of these people who were carried away intermarried with the Assyrians. And this is where the Samaritans came from. 
When the southern kingdom, when the, when the Jews of the southern kingdom in Jerusalem were carried away to Babylon, they did not intermarry. They held pure. They did not intermarry with the folk. So the southern Jews really stuck their noses up and down at the northern tribe. They called them half-breeds. They called them dogs. They hated them. They hated them because of what they did. They hated them. This is one of the reasons why the disciples were so shocked when we get to John 4. When Jesus says, I need to go to Samaria. You need to do what? I need to go to Samaria. But they're half-breeds. They're, they're dogs. Why do you need to go there? See, the Samaritans even built their own temple. They had their own temple for worship. They weren't allowed to worship in Jerusalem. They had their own temple. But that's where the Jews said they had to worship. The Samaritans were also looking for a Messiah. You remember when Jesus met the woman at the well? What did she say to him? She said, we know that when the Messiah is coming, he's going to teach us all things. They were looking forward to the Messiah. They were looking to the one that Moses had forecast of back in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, that the Lord would send another prophet, and him you will hear. The Samaritans were, were believing in that. Remember, the Samaritan woman, after she had this encounter with Jesus, we'll talk about this on Wednesday night, but she ran back, and what did she say? She said to the rest of the Samaritans, come on out and see this guy. Come and see. Come and see. Come and see this man. He told me everything I ever did and everything I know. Could he be the Messiah? And they came out, and they looked at him, and they said, now we believe, not because of what you've told us, but we believe because we have seen and heard for ourselves. And that's what we do. We say, come and see Jesus. Come and see Jesus. And people come, and they look, and they see and hear from themselves, and they believe not because you believe. They believe because they see and they hear for themselves. The seed was already planted in Samaria, and Philip goes down to proclaim the Messiah to them. I wonder if the Samaritan woman was there. I wonder if she was part of this crowd that, that Philip was witnessing to. I mean, after all, Jesus had already sown the seed. Jesus had already been there. He would already talked to Samaritans. Now, Philip was just harvesting what Christ had sowed. He was just in there harvesting. Why did Philip teach Christ to, preach Christ to the Samaritans? These half-breeds who were hated by the Jews. Why did he do that? He did that because Jesus had touched Philip's heart. There was no room for this kind of prejudice in his heart. He wasn't racist towards the Samaritans. Philip, being a student of God's word, knew that God shows no partiality. In Deuteronomy 10, 17, it says, For the Lord is your God, is a God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality or takes no bribe. Later in Acts 10, verse 34, Peter's going to say, as he sent to the Gentiles, he declares, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. The Apostle Paul declares in Romans 2.11, there is no partiality with God. And he continues and says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God in verse uh, 23 of 3. There's no partiality in God's unending love. There's no partiality. God loves us all. God has sown His Son to everyone. But make no, make no mistake about it. There's no partiality in His righteous judgment either. There's no partiality when God comes. He will judge on, based on righteousness and righteousness alone. That is the basis on which He judges. You want to be found righteous? Jesus Christ. Those that don't will be judged. Just as in Philip's heart where there's no racism or prejudice, there's no room for racism or prejudice in our hearts. There should be no room. Just as God shows no partiality, we should follow the same path and show no partiality. That means to anyone, 
rich or poor, black, white, pink, I don't care what. There should be no partiality because Christ has come and died for all. For we're all one in Christ, slave, free, Jew, Greek, male, female, we're all one. How many of you, how many of you went to Sunday school and sang, Jesus loves the little children of the world? All the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Why are we partial? Who are we to decide who does and who does not receive God's word? How dare we hold back God's word from somebody else to think, ah, they won't accept. Are you God that you can make that decision? Are you putting yourself in the place of God that you can say, I can't witness to them because I don't like them? Jesus loved the world. We are to love the world. Jesus loved the world so much that he died for the world, died for the sins of us all. So Philip finds himself in Samaria. It was probably not his first choice. But he was a refugee from the persecution. But he doesn't go into hiding. And the second thing I want to point out here is he preaches Christ to the Samaritans. He preaches Christ to the Samaritans. He gets up there and he hurls the coming of Jesus Christ. He didn't preach anything else. And you know what? When he preached Christ, guess what he did? He preached the S word, sin. He preached the H word, hell. And he preached the R word, repentance. Yeah, he said all three of them, sin, hell, and repentance. He preached every single one of them. He didn't shriek back. He didn't veil the message. He didn't send out a user-friendly message. Let's all grab hands and sing kumbaya. Can't we all just get along? What a wonderful world we live in. No, he preached Christ and Christ crucified. He preached about hell. He preached about sin. He preached about repentance. He preached Christ. He did not use a user-friendly gospel, what I like to call the gospel. He preached only Christ. How many times has the message been so veiled that you can't even see what it is? The message is so veiled, it's cloaked. It's like, what, what is this message? What are they talking about? Certainly they're not talking about God. And if it's veiled, guess what? It's ineffective because it lacks the power of God. It lacks God's power through the Holy Spirit because it's not based on the foundation that we find in the Gospels. I mean, after all, if Christ was good enough for the apostles to preach, shouldn't it be good enough for us to preach also? If the apostles turned the world upside down because they preached Christ and Christ crucified, why do we hold back? Because you know what? I can't boast in anything that I do or say. I don't have something greater to offer than Jesus Christ. I don't have this esoteric thing in my mind thinking, ooh, you should have what I have, but you can't get it because I'm too far up there. What I have, I give to you. Jesus Christ, the righteous. What I have, you can have. Jesus Christ. He's the one that you need. You don't need me. You need Christ and Christ crucified in your life. Paul thought, thought so strongly about this that he says in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 16, he says, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. Then for the necessity is laid upon me, yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. If we're not preaching the gospel, woe to us. You are Thank you for joining us here today on A Sure Hope. In this series, Pastor Dave has been teaching through the book of Acts. This book follows the journeys of many disciples, but especially of the Apostle Paul. He took several missionary trips to tell others about Jesus, and he acquired many companions along the way. Wouldn't it be interesting to be a traveling missionary? 
he met many people who readily accepted the message he was bringing. In other cities, his life was threatened and he was pushed out as people didn't want to hear about the way. But being a Christian isn't meant to just be an easy road. As Paul's life displayed, you go into it knowing that there will be obstacles that you face. Is it worth it, you might ask? Of course it is. The prize that you'll be rewarded is far more precious than the things of this world. Staying true to Jesus, who gave up everything for you, is the best way you can live your life for Him. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today. A Sure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. If you're in the area, we'd love to see you on Sunday mornings. Check out AsureHopeRadio.com for service times and directions. Once again, that's AsureHopeRadio.com. And don't worry if you can't make it in person. On the website, you'll notice links to our live stream via Facebook and YouTube. All of these can be accessed through AsureHopeRadio.com. Don't forget to come back next time as Pastor Dave continues to go through the book of Acts again, right here on Assure Hope. Show. Sure.